these people, these clients uh, are coming to you because they can't find this somewhere else. So that right there is a price tag in and of itself. Like if they're, if they're coming to you, it's because they can't find what they need. And there's a price for that. That's the voice of Jordan Getz, owner of Growler Domestics. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Jordan Getz, owner of the Austin, Texas-based furniture company, Growler Domestics. Jordan is a furniture maker, but he is also a storyteller, and this episode is equal parts of both. Yes, it's an academic look into positive ways to grow your company, but at the same time, it's also a personal narrative that shows how someone grows alongside their business. His is a story of a creative person who found woodworking and just had a passion for it. And along the way, all that creativity turned into success. And with success in this business comes having to actually run that business. Having to learn to balance that creativity and still keep track of invoices and pricing and contracts and all that goes into the business side of running a furniture business. But before we get ahead of ourselves, before Jordan got to where he is today, before the clients and the commissions, before he even built his first piece of furniture, there was always that creative spark, one that drove him forward. How he got into furniture is a story of passion, and definitely one you want to hear in his own words. So when I moved out to Austin from Santa Barbara, um, 14 years ago. I started my business nine years ago. Um, I think like I, I caught a creative bug. I was creative as a, ch- as a child. And um, I kind of, I feel like I maybe transferred the creativity into music. Um, I think some people that listened to my band back in the day would disagree that that was creative. But, um, you know, I, I caught the bug here in Austin. As soon as I moved here, I was overwhelmed with this energy that this city offered and like the, the um, community and like how much everyone was willing to help each other. And uh, my buddy Gabe was doing bar renovations at the time and like, uh, you know, inlay work and more like fine finished trim out carpentry. And that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And it still hadn't registered yet that, you know, being a furniture designer was an option. So, he would get new jobs and he would get new tools. And that's kind of how you do it. When you get a job, you get a tool. <laughs> but, you know, I remember him, you know, giving me my first set of drills and they were Makitas. And this is back when Makitas were black and white. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I had a handsaw and I still have the same handsaw, my first one I bought. And that's what I used. I used old Makitas and I used a handsaw and I was working out of my spare bedroom uh, in this little small, like rundown, two bedroom house um, in Austin. And I would drag my all my tools out to 
the front yard and I'd work on like a beat up old picnic table, you know, not level. I didn't even know what the word level meant at that point. I was just so excited to be getting my hands on something and being creative and letting this out. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I, you know, started to hone in my craft a little bit and, um, you know, would start to upgrade my tools. And uh, I remember driving around, I had a Scion XB, the toaster oven, and I would drive around all the old neighborhoods searching for homes that were being torn down because I was so drawn to this wood. And nine years ago, we weren't really calling it reclaimed wood. And, and when homes were being torn down, you know, the, the construction workers were, you know, I drive by, I'm like, yo, can I grab this? Can I take this off your hands? And they kind of were like, this guy's an idiot. Like <laughs> he's doing our job for us. And he's just, you know, they were just going to toss it. And I would just stockpile it. And I loved all of this wood. It had paint on it. It had different colors. It had like the, uh, color variations from like the nails that were stuck in there and I just started making stuff whether it was like a shelf or 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 a lamp fixture you know moving forward to like a coffee table which I would never build the same way again (laughs) but I did it you know and 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 um I I remember you know Facebook just kind of took off Instagram was just was just starting so none of it was what it is now it was the platform or the tool that you can use it as now and i remember you know people saying jordan you should put these coffee tables on facebook and see if someone wants to buy it and i thought that was the silliest thing ever because anyone can do this anyone can drive around and find the wood and cut it and make their own coffee table or dining table or whatever they want to be creative with um and I put it up on Facebook for like $200 and this was before marketplace existed. And, um, it went like within like 30 minutes and, you know, obviously I didn't make any money off of a $250 coffee table. Uh, I thought I did. And it was, I wasn't calculating my time or, you know, what the, what the creative process was for me or any of that. But I was just so over the moon that somebody wanted something that I made. That was the coolest thing. Like you could have got this thing. You could have got something else somewhere else. You could have got, you know, anything, but you decided to support me and buy my coffee table. And, and uh, that was just the coolest moment. And uh, yeah, so I worked out of my spare bedroom for a little bit, did that whole thing. I remember um, <laughs> taking pool noodles and slicing them long ways like a hot dog. And I would wrap them on the bottom of the doors so that if I was staining something in the spare bedroom, like the fumes wouldn't come out so much. <laughs> so anyway one day one day my buddy eric uh he was a bartender at the w hotel here in austin and he had used to turn and he would he used to have a lathe back home and he was interested in getting back into woodworking and he had like a half a car not even a you couldn't even park a car in this thing but it was like a half a car shack that you would buy at like home depot it was like run down beat up leaked the whole nine but he was like, if you want to move your stuff from the spare bedroom in your front yard into this shop, like, and you want to let me use the tools whenever I have time and I can kind of get back into that as well. Like, let's do that. And I was like, that was, that was another cool moment. I was just like, oh my God, I'm moving into a shop that's away from my house. And then I remember going in there and being like, I have so much space. I have so much room. I have so many, so much room for activities. And, uh, 
they were him and his roommates at the time were so nice to me for working there like 12 15 hours a day like i wouldn't stop i was so excited to be building and like I remember I took over their office and I moved all the furniture out of their office and that was my finishing room. And I like snuck up the whole house and I moved out into the driveway and even into the backyard. And like, it was, I mean, I, I'm shocked. And if they're listening to this, thank you for putting up with my because <laughs> it was like two years of just like me going at it to like 1130 to like one in the morning. <laughs> but I got some of my bigger projects out of that and out of that, out of that shed, uh, I got a job to do a coffee shop. And meanwhile, during this whole process of me building and like finding out what I'm doing, uh, I was bartending downtown. So I would come home at three in the morning, four in the morning when the bars, when I was done cleaning and get up at 10 and start being creative and then go to work and it was the cycle. Uh, but I finally got a job. I got hit up by a, John, a general contractor to design and build out a coffee shop here in Austin. And it was a big enough paycheck for me to let go of bartending. You know, and like looking back, it wasn't that big of a paycheck, but it was big enough and it was my first one. And I was just like, this is a lot of money. <laughs> this is a lot of money. Like this is, this is, I told everyone this is gonna be my last year of bartending. You know, and like everyone kind of like laughed in my face because you know, if you've ever bartended, you know that it's quick, easy money. And it's a hard, it's a hard uh, lifestyle to get out of. Um, but I did it and I built out this coffee shop. And from that, I got more work. And, you know, I've, it's all been word of mouth for me since. And, you know, I moved out of that shed and I moved into a, a warehouse, like a big shop, a commercial space. I had two commercial spaces. Um, and I did that for like four or five years, six years maybe. And then uh, now I just moved into a little townhouse here uh, in Austin. And I love it. It's like this wonderful neighborhood. and. I'm tucked away so I don't really have to worry about noise and I have a two two and a half car garage that I work out of I'm still doing the same amount of work in the same level I just don't have all the overhead anymore so it's it's been kind of a blessing to have that happen that is quite the story and definitely a journey that you took to get where you are today now you said something that really stuck out to me when people said, oh, put this, put this up for sale and, and put your first pieces up for sale. In your mind, you were thinking, why is this special? Anyone can do this if they just have the time or, or if they you know, just collect the right amount of wood. And that is a mindset that a lot of creative people have before they make that jump into building an actual business that idea that you can do it anyone can do it how can i charge for it because that that concept just seems foreign because why would you spend because you wouldn't spend money on furniture why would other people spend money on furniture when everyone can just build it how did you get over that hurdle of thinking this is something that anyone can do and into the mindset of this is a business and this is a skill set that I possess that I can charge for. So 
yeah going back to like the mindset like anyone can do it and anyone can do it but everyone's minds are wired differently and not everyone's creative um i do believe that everyone has a creative side and they have to find it and they've got to they got to bring it out somehow uh but you know there's life also that happens and that that's something that you know families or your job is more like it's i think it's more prioritizing but um i think going into the realization of I've got something here, like I'm doing, I'm doing something right. If, if I'm getting more people calling me like, Hey, I saw that coffee table on Facebook. Um, can you do another one? You know, and I'm like, yeah, 200, 225, you know, <laughs> but you know, going back again to move when I moved to Austin and the community here within the, the, the furniture makers and the metal, metal wood or metal workers. Um, I just, I honestly reached out and I'm like, how do we, how do we talk about pricing? Like, how do we do this? Like, you know, and you know, there are some people that were like, gave me like the super complex way of, uh, of charging stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And then you could do like your materials times three. And I did that for a while. And then, but that kind of bites you in sometimes because just, you know, doing your material cost times three or times 3.4 or four, whatever you want to do, will sometimes bite you is you'll finish a piece of work. Uh, and like I said, I don't like to consider myself an artist, uh, but when you know, other people do whatever, but you, you finish a piece of work, right? And you already have that set price and you got your deposit and it's done. And then you look back and you're like, that's really cool. Like I, I definitely could have charged like 10 times what I should have. And I think that pricing stuff, you can do your material cost times four or three, whatever, whatever your skill set is. Like if you, if you're, you know, if you're been doing it for a while and you, you've got a following or you've, you've, you've got a good resume under you, then go for it. And you can start bringing your prices up and that's totally fair. And it's totally expected on the client's end. Uh, but also like, I, you have to factor in like how much time is going to, you know, it's going to take to, to make this and to design it. So I've even started with clients who email me like, Hey, like, I want to talk to you about doing x and x and x and i'll say okay that's cool like let's get some measurements i can figure it out you know and i can give you a ballpark price and that's going to be a rough estimate that would just give you an idea of where we sit it could be up it could be down but also before i start designing anything i'm going to take a deposit from you and if you decide to move forward with me then i'll put that into the final bid but if you don't and you don't like that number well, then I'm not wasting my time either. And that's super important to know the value of your time. And I think that your client will look at you uh, as more of a professional if you do that. You gave a bunch of different pricing models and I know people who have been successful with each of those, but what type of pricing are you using today that you've gone, you've gone through all the other ones? What is working for you now? I think my current, I mean, the current pricing is, it really depends. I'm doing a lot of furniture stuff. Like I can quote out a dining table, no problem off the top of my head because I know what my lumber prices are and I know what's going to go into it. And I've done it now for nine years. So I know where, roughly where we're sitting. Uh, but if it comes to doing installs and stuff like that, like that's a whole nother ball game and that takes time. And that's another thing that comes with experience. Mm -hmm. So you fall into the feeling it out type of pricing model where 
you know that the stuff you're building is a premium. It, it's not just cookie cutter things that you're turning out. You, even though you said you didn't want to call yourself an artist, your furniture is in that artistic world and you're pricing for that. You're pricing more based on emotion rather than pure numbers. Am I hearing that correct? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, it just depends. Like these people, these clients uh, are coming to you because they can't find this somewhere else. So that right there is a price tag in and of itself. Like if they're, if they're coming to you, it's because they can't find what they need. And there's a price for that. And that's okay. And they, they should expect that price. As you built your business, how did you set yourself apart from the crowd of furniture makers? Because there are a lot of people out there who are making furniture, but how did you set yourself apart where you can say, you can't find this anywhere else. I'm the person to do it. Well, I don't know that I would say I set myself apart. I know that plenty of people have called or text or sent me photos and they know that I have a style. I don't know that I have a particular style that's mine. Um, I think something that sets me apart a lot from other furniture makers is that I'm a, I am a naturally a people person and I'm drawn to people and I like people and I want to get to know you. And if you're spending the money and the time with me to do something custom like this, like let's, let's form a relationship. And before COVID happened, like I would go over to your house, we'd sit down, we'd go like, we'd go over what patterns, what colors you have in your, in your living room or your dining room already, what color are your floors, things that people don't think about that might clash. And like, and throughout the process, we're keeping open communication and developing this relationship. And so when I'm finished with the project, we have this like, you know, a new friendship that's been built over the process or over the time uh, of me building this custom piece of furniture that you know, hopefully they'll have for the rest of their life. And I think that's, I think it's valued and I think it's appreciated on their end that like you're taking the time to like make them feel comfortable and walk them through the process and have fun with it. I think that's super important. Building a relationship with your client is very important because that is a good way to stop any issues that may develop later in the project where you have that working relationship and personal relationship where you can speak with the client and tell them exactly what's going on. So there's not going to be any surprises later down the line. But at the same time, having a personal relationship like that makes the business side much harder sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. They might change their mind. And if you're in the quote unquote friend zone, then, <laughs> then you know, that's fine. They think it's no big deal. But on your end, you're running a business and you can't just change it out now, without I, yeah without either charging them or something no there's there's no there's no changing your mind <laughs> sorry <laughs> friend friend or no friend uh i have on my invoices i have a full like page where it's just like uh you know 50 percent deposits due before uh production begins and 50 percent is due after any changes made after the deposits made will result in a change order of whatever it is like whatever percentage um and if there's a cancellation then there's another fee as well and they have to sign it. Um, 
it's pretty it's pretty straightforward it's not like a it's not like a full-blown contract or anything but it's just like yo like this is how it is like and and i had to do that because i had to i learned the hard way where you know i had i had a client once order a three inch massive mahogany table and i bought the wood i glued it up i had the base done i had the whole thing done and then he's like well my girlfriend wants it to be white now like a whitewashed like barn wood and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> I can't, cause I can't just like stain it. And I'm like, you can't stain mahogany and you can't put white on it. It's going to turn purple. And it was just like, well, this isn't what we want. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, then this was, this was a friend zone situation. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like you, this is done. It's completed. Like, I, I <laughs> what do you mean? Why would you tell me you want mahogany if you wanted a, a magnolia farms farmhouse table like <laughs> and you know the friend zone thing had me uh split the the final 50 percent into 25 percent, and i was like just and then, and then i just told him to keep it i was like i don't know where to put this thing and i don't know who's gonna buy this thing it's ugly now so i you know and it's happened more than once and now it's just a thing like and i and i've been in austin now for 14 years so i know a lot of people and i know a lot of bar owners and i know a lot of restaurant owners and all of their friends and yada 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 so i've just had to you know a lot of my clients i know or i know through someone else or they got me through one of my good friends and um you know it's it's one of those things where i treat every single person now on the like with a business i'm still friendly and i still build a relationship and a friendship with these people and you know, we want you to come over and have dinner with us for our first meal and like at, at the dinner table. And I'm like, absolutely, I'll do that. Uh, but I'm also very professional. And I, I, I think I've just found that line uh, that's the safe, the safe line to walk on that uh, and keep it both friendly and professional. Does that uh, make sense? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that, may, that makes total sense. And that that's the balancing act of being the person who is building the stuff physically building the stuff and also the person who is the face of the company who is selling the stuff where you walk a very fine line between what you can say you're going to deliver and what you actually can deliver and everyone wants to be a crowd pleaser everybody wants to to say sure i could do that oh you want that i could do that but in in the world of business you can't always do that. You can't always give that mahogany table away because that's that's not a way to run a business. And I'm glad to see that you've learned from that. And that's what a lot of people in this industry experience. They they get burned once, they get burned twice, and they, they figure it out very fast when their money goes out the window. I know you're right, yeah. I mean, I think if the guy wasn't, mega big and muscular and would have kicked my and i probably would have been like you owe me the full amount but i didn't want to get this kicked <laughs> <laughs> he's a well, big guy <laughs> well you know number one we'll we'll hope he's not listening to this because that would be that would be very specific and and yeah i i guess adding adding to your resume of building stuff you should also work out a little apparently Okay. I mean, I thought lifting wood and steel is enough, but apparently not. This guy's, this guy's like He-Man. 
Let's talk a little bit about your process, you know, talking about lifting wood and steel and things like that. And you are the primary builder. How are you balancing the building part of having a furniture company and the office part of having a furniture company? Um, it's busy. <laughs> it's a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff that goes on the back end that, uh, you know, we don't talk about on the socials and it's because it's not exciting um but it's it's a it's it's never ending and you know i was on the couch last night getting messages and hey i want to talk to you about you know a project and i have six things i need for my in the house and i was just wanted to be like lady it's almost 10 o'clock at night <laughs> but i'm a people person and i want to be, you know and that's the business like i i could have just ignored it right but it was through instagram and so then uh it says scene so i'm like okay so I, you know, I was like, you know, she, it was a, one of those vague, like how much for a barn door? I'm like, well, I don't, what kind of barn door do you want? Like, how big is it? What kind of wood are we staining it? And like, get me all the dimensions, get me to answer these questions, fill out this form. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's been a, a learning process for me and, you know, I'm still learning and developing new ways to do things. But I think the biggest thing for me with it is, was, not mastering but mastering time management and working on a project you know maybe wake up early in the morning and you know hit the emails at like 6 a.m right and get that stuff out of the way get the quotes sent out and that way that's out in the universe that's working for me right that's that's already being processed now i'm going to go into the shop and i'm going to work until you know you know i get to a finishing point um and I'll schedule my, my meetings around that kind of a thing and, or my work, my workflow around a meeting. But, you know, maybe I'll make sure that I have a tabletop glued up and then I have time to go to my meeting or, or you know, come back upstairs and handle my emails, you know, or take a lunch break. You know, I won't take a break usually until I'm at a solid stopping point where something's working for me while I'm not working. Work-life balance is the most difficult part of having your own company and and it's hard because you have to be on 200 percent and just always always going in those first years and as your business grows you feel like you can start either delegating tasks to other people or you can slow down because you have a steady income or you can relax a little bit because you have a client waiting list, but you realize very fast that there is no stopping. So you need to be able to figure out how to control that in a healthy way because you people can just burn themselves out. And I'm sure you know that, you know, you had all those years of, of working at night as a bartender and then you were working during the day and then you were working at night and you can just burn yourself out like that. So what was, was there a, a time that you realized this isn't working and I need to sort of pull back and, and, and regroup a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that still happens. Um, I can delegate like sanding jobs or staining jobs or painting jobs, you know? Um, but like, as of like letting go of the reins and stepping back, like that's always been my biggest, I think my fault. And 
setback and it's really hard for me to trust that someone else is going to do this right and that these people are coming to me these clients and they're spending a pretty penny on custom furniture and they expect a certain level uh, of a finished product and I it's just I would rather have it be messed up on my end that I did it than someone else. There are a lot of people listening to this show that have that that passion, that creative drive that you had when you started out, where they drive by a construction site and they want those pieces of scrap wood. They they lay in bed at night thinking about new designs and they they're excited about jumping into the world of owning a furniture business and there's also people out there who have had those feelings and have done it and already in it and they want to run their business better what advice would you have for people who are looking to have a more successful furniture company oh um I think for the people starting out that are maybe a little hesitant or not really sure on what direction to go or if they're doing it right is to reach out to the community, um, ask questions, ask all the questions. There's, you know, there's that saying, there's no stupid question. That's not true. I ask plenty of them, but, um, you know, ask questions, ask, you know, these people aren't, aren't like, I don't look at them anyway. They're not your competitors. Like, I, I pass jobs on or, or tell people to go somewhere else or, or you know, recommend someone else if I don't feel like I'm comfortable doing it. Like, and I'm not worried about someone taking my work. Like, uh, so I, the community of this this world of art and being creative and furniture making, like, ask your questions. Like, that's how I learned how to price my stuff. I just asked and I sat down. They showed me. I took notes and I, you know made adjustments along the way and I've figured it out. Um, and I, I, I get a lot of DMs on Instagram and a lot of questions and I, I do my best to answer every single one of them. Um, in regards to like, hey, how did you do this? Or even if I post a story with like, hey, like I did the other day, like, oh, if you don't have a $5,000 planer, you can use this sled out of plywood. Like, yeah, I've been doing this for nine years and I've had the same planer for nine years and I make it work. Like, like you don't ask your questions and like you don't have to like you don't have to have the biggest best thing to begin like you like my biggest advice for that is like just just do it just be creative let it flow let it be fun like this is supposed to be fun um and for the people that are are, you know are in the in the process of building it up like just keep doing your thing like and, and you know I don't know that like if you're already in it like you've made it that far you've made the you've made that jump of, of doubting yourself and like now you're trusting yourself to to make a living and, and and that's like that's the hardest part is really just making that first jump yes making that first jump is very very hard um it's, it's terrifying it, it is i'm gl- and but in the end yeah oh i was just saying, because you know I'm in it nine years now and I'm booked for the year, which is great, you know, but that wasn't always the case. And like, I still, you know, you still going to have your doubts of like, what's next, what's next, what's next. But like, man, if you're doing it right and you're, and you're, 
you know, if you're doing it right on all ends and like you're having fun, you're creating a relationship, you're, you're putting out quality products. By the time you're done with that other, that, that first project you're working on, you're going to have another one lined up or two or three or 10. So yeah. like making that first jump, like even when I got that check for that coffee shop and I was like, Oh, cool. This is, this will keep me afloat for a while and I can quit bartending. I was still terrified. I knew that money was going to run out, but like I had, I, I, it was, it was literally now or never at that moment for me. If I don't do this, I'm going to literally blow this money and I'm going to still be bartending. Yeah. So just making that first jump as scary as it is. Here's the thing is you can always go back to what you're doing. You can always find another job, but like having that moment of like, okay, let's do this. Like, let's get our feet wet. Let's see what happens. Like that's, that's, that's it, man. That's the moment. That's the, that's the hardest part. And once you do that, it'll click. And you're like, this is the best moment of my life. Well, I know that I'm glad you made that jump. Um, I'm glad that you're making furniture. I'm glad that you are successful. I'm glad that you're happy. I'm glad that you are making it work. Jordan, thank you so much for sitting down with us today for sharing your story and your journey and your knowledge with this community. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.